It is a joy to be with you here in Sainfield. If I'd have known at retirement would be so busy, I would have stayed on in Bali, I think. But uh, it is a joy going around different fellowships and being able to share God's word. And it's a joy to be back in Sainfield. I thought we were going to be late. We were nearly stuck in the Belfast Marathon. I thought my wife was going to get out and run up here. But uh, she made it. we made it together. Could you turn with me, please? to 2 Samuel chapter 21. 2 Samuel chapter 21. It's my exercise over the time with you here in Sainfield to look at the character of David. This morning, we're going to look at David in a day of famine. Tonight, we're going to look at David in a day of loneliness. And then on Wednesday, we're going to look at David in a day of battle. And then on the 10th of May, we're going to look at David in a day of harvest. And then on the 17th, we'll look at David in a day of worship. And then our final one together on the 24th, David in a day of reflection. So we're looking at the life of David. I trust it will be a blessing to you. But this morning, David in a day of famine. 2 Samuel 21, just first one, but keep your Bible handy, please. This is the word of the Lord. Then there was a famine in the days of David, three years, year after year. And David inquired of the Lord, and the Lord answered, it is for Saul and for his bloody house, because he slew the Gibeonites. And amen. We'll just pause there in our reading. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your precious word of instruction and comfort. And Father, as we look at this passage from the life of David, Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit might enlighten our minds to its truth, and that, Father, not only might we understand it and might not only believe it, but that we might order our lives in the light of it, that we might walk closer to thee. Give help, we pray, for Christ's sake. Amen. The great Irish famine invaded the land of Ireland from 1845 to 1849, bringing indescribable suffering to many people, it's estimated that over a million lives were lost as a result of starvation and disease. But of course, the human suffering was far greater than the numbers convey. Families were torn apart. Children languished in their mother's arms. The cries of a helpless population went unanswered by a world that was ill-equipped to respond. What was it that caused such devastation? Well, the story of famine has been told in China, Cambodia, Somalia, Ethiopia, Eritrea, North Korea. The list uh, goes on quite long. But in the case of the Irish famine, the suffering began with a tiny spore that silently multiplied and began to destroy Ireland's potato crop. Without warning, the nation's food supply simply rotted, toppling the economy. 
and the lives and dreams of many Irish citizens were traumatized for decades to come, even up to this present day. When we come to 2 Samuel 21, a mysterious and relentless famine has hit the nation of Israel. Three years, and it says year after year, stressing that it seems to have been relentless year after year. And still the painful plague wouldn't lift. The rain didn't fall. The seeds didn't take root. The harvest never came. The people of God were starving. And we have come across such experiences across the world. But here in our province, we really have not known such days physically. But how do we cope in spiritual famine conditions? Because I'm aware that as I travel about our province and further afield, there are many, many congregations and they seem to be facing times of spiritual, emotional famine, causing untold suffering and barrenness. Now, I'm not thinking of a bad day with all of those are having a difficult week, and no doubt we all of those, but I'm talking about a famine that has robbed us of spiritual joy. I'm talking about a famine that has destroyed our peace and leaves us groping for a sense of God's presence. And it could just be in St. Field that if I was going to go around the congregation one by one and look into your eyes and say, when last did you sense God's powerful presence? I would get a blank response. Somehow we think that's for the preachers or for the elders or for the oversight, for the missionaries on the front line, but it doesn't really affect me like that. But dear saint of God, if we have God by his spirit in our hearts, it should make a radical, positive, critical difference to the way we live. So often our hearts are famished. And each day we grow more confused and hopeless and weary. With each day our faith shrivels and we end up holding on to a wee card we signed at a mission or a moment in a good news club when somebody prayed with us. Dear friend, listen to me. If that's all it is, if all you've got is a signature in a card, if all you've got is somebody that prayed for you when you were a little child, dear friend, there's something wrong. Christ in us, the hope of glory. And whenever I get saved at 16 years of age in a Brethren Hall, Ebenezer Gospel Hall, in the Old Park Road in Belfast, my, the only thing in my head was playing rugby for Ireland running out in Lansdowne, Aviva Stadium as it is now, and with a green jersey on and hear the roar of the crowd. I'm now the shape of the ball rather than the players. That's, that's another problem. That was my goal. But that night, sitting beside my parents, I realized that I was a sinner. I realized that God loved me and sent Christ to die for me. And sitting about three or four rows in the front, I trusted Christ as my Savior. Listen to me. I've never been the same again. Never. He walks with me. And he talks with me. And he tells me that I am his own. 
and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Is that what it's like for you? Is that the way it was last week? I say, when you woke this morning and thought of church, did your heart miss a beat as you thought of the anticipation of meeting with fellow believers? Or are you facing days of spiritual famine? My, the soul is almost shriveled. You've forgotten about what a quiet time's like. And the prayer times have well nigh evaporated. And the Bible is, well, apart from a few wee favorite verses, it's an unknown book. And you know nothing of God's refreshing, of God's spirit moving. It's a famine of the heart. What does David do in his day of famine? Well, first of all, I want you to notice the desperate situation. David is in the palace. He's not cocooned or protected from reality. He knew what was happening outside. He could see the swollen tummies of the children. He he could hear the mothers cry. He could see them scavenging for scraps among the rubbish. He knew what was happening. But more than that, David inquired of the Lord. Verse 1. There was a famine in the days of David, three years, year after year, and David inquired of the Lord. Dear friend, whenever we think of spiritual famine, whether it is collectively as a fellowship, and I don't know the spiritual temperature of St. Field Baptist, or if it's individual believers, when we think of spiritual famine, the first step is to recognize the condition and let it drive you to your knees before the Lord. Just to say, no, dear, forget about the dinner today. Forget it. Take the phone off the hook. I have business with God to do. I need to inquire of the Lord. I need to know personal revival. It's important because in our day, we treat spiritual barrenness as the norm and spiritual blessing as abnormal. We no longer despair at the lack of fruit. We can't remember the last time a soul was saved. Maybe can't remember the last time time the baptismal tank was opened. We no longer shed tears at a lack of spiritual harvest. And it doesn't bother us. And we sort of glibly say, well, it's the last days. And no doubt it is. Someone says it's the day of small things. Some says, well, it wasn't like that back in my day. And they'll reminisce on the way it was days ago. But listen, dear saint of God, living in a Laodicean age, a lukewarm age, is no excuse for being a Laodicean church. Because even the Laodicean church, the Lord was saying, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, I will open the door and I will come in. So living in the last days, the Laodicean age, as the theologians call it, that is no excuse to be a Laodicean believer and no excuse to be a Laodicean church. We are, as God's people, in a desperate situation. 
collectively and individually. And I'm a guest here this morning. I'll not ask for a show of hands, but I know you know who you are. Maybe some tuning in, and you maybe don't go to church anymore, but the soul is shriveled. Can I say to you, that's not the way that God wants us to live. (laughs) It is time to seek the Lord. It is time to inquire of Him. The field should be full of grain. The barn should be filled to capacity. I, I remember... I don't know if you've booked your summer holidays. I remember watching a program on holidays. I, like, I don't really go on many, but I like to see where everybody else is going. And there was a holiday in the south of France, the Dordogne in the south of France, um, near, near Bordeaux, I think, if, if I've got my geography right. And the idea was it was a canoeing holiday. And you arrived at the airport, the coach picked you up, took you to your four-star hotel, and in the morning, you get into a jeep or the uh, canoes at the top and you went down to the river and they got you into the river and you just meandered down the river. And whenever it came about 11 o'clock, you pulled into the side and there was somebody with a table spread and you had a wee cup of coffee and a wee bun or something to keep you going. And then back in and they meandered down the river again and then they stopped for lunch. And I'm thinking, now, that's all right when you're going downhill, <laughs> when you're going with the flow. I mean, I mean, each mile just going with the flow is going to be hard pedaling back up again. Ah, but they'd all that sorted. When you got to the end of the day, five o'clock, you pulled in, and they put them back on the jeep, the, 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 uh, the canoes back on, and you just drove back to your hotel. Huh? Now, listen. Many of God's people today are just happy to go with the flow. They take the path of least resistance. And we are facing days whenever laws are being passed and whether things are going to get tight for those who believe the Bible to be the Word of God. Oh, dear saint of God, don't just go with the flow. Stand with spiritual backbone. Stand with courage in these difficult The desperate situation. Secondly, I want you to see the deep source because the Lord answers David's prayer and this problem has deep roots. He says it is for Saul and for his bloody house because he slew the Gibeonites. So, So often, you know, we're happy to alter surface things but struggle whenever it gets down to digging up the roots of the problem. You know the way a woman maybe has endured a lifetime of rejection and she finds antidepressants useful in numbing the pain. And it does do that, but she'll not really be truly free until those deep roots are dealt with. Or you know the man who's struggling to commit within a marriage and he escapes by watching hours and hours and hours and hours of television just to dumb and to blank the mind. But the marriage will not be healthy until the root problem is addressed. And Israel's problem, God reveals to David that this problem goes back to Joshua chapter 9. Some... 400 years earlier. Imagine 
That's deep roots, isn't it? Away back in their history. Hardly anybody could remember it. But there, away back 400 years ago, the Israelites had entered the promised land. And they were clearing the land of all their enemies, taking off the boxes. That's them dealt with. Who's next on the list? Okay, let's deal with it. The next on the list was the Gibeonites, the next neighbors that they had to fight. But the Gibeonites thought up a scam. And they said, what we'll do is this. We will arrive in the camp of Israel at Gilgal and we will wear old, worn, torn, tattered clothes. We'll have old socks and old shoes and, and hard, dry bread. And, and we'll claim that we're from a far-off country and we will get a peace treaty with Israel. You'll read about it in Joshua 9.15. And the Israelites saw this sort of ragamuffin crowd arriving, felt a wee bit sorry for them. And they were looking at peace treaty. And, and so Israel says, sure, sure, we'll give you a peace treaty. <laughs> no problem. And they didn't realize that it was the Gibeonites in disguise. And 400 years later, Saul had either forgot about the treaty or considered such an old agreement no longer binding and he began to destroy the Gibeonites. I don't care, says Saul, what happened 400 years ago. That's ancient history. I'm going to destroy them. And God's not happy. You see, God wants us to be people of integrity. Our word should be our bond. That's that's the way we ought to live. Whether at home, or whether in business, or whether in our career, our word should be our bond. Because we are Christians, we, we reflect the nature of Christ. And that's the root of the problem here. The deep source of the famine was found in Saul not abiding by by an agreement, a peace treaty with the Gibeonites. Can I pause there and ask you a question? Dear saint of God, what is at the root? What is at the hidden what is the hidden source of our spiritual famine? Can I say to you lovingly? Not knowing the situation here in Sainfield. But can I say it's time to stop putting a sticking plaster on the tumors? It's time for the great physician to do invasive surgery. To bring healing to the roots. There ought not to be bitterness. Doubt and pride. Unconfessed sin materialism, oh, all the things that can eat away at us, that can rob us of God's best. The desperate situation, the famine, year after year. The deep source went back some 400 years from a, a, a peace treaty that was signed when they entered the promised land and Saul ignored it. Thirdly, notice the demanded sacrifice. Verse 3. 
Wherefore David said to the Gibeonites, What shall I do for you? And wherewith shall I make the atonement that ye may bless the inheritance of the Lord? David goes to the Gibeonites and he says, Look, Saul has made a big mistake here. God is punishing us because he ignored the peace treaty. And I'm coming to you and ask, What can be done to heal the wound? You'll notice that the Gibeons weren't interested in money. Look at verse 4. And the Gibeonites said unto him, We will have no silver nor gold of Saul, nor of his house, neither for us shalt thou kill any man in Israel. And he said, What what ye shall say, that will I do for you. And they answered the king, The man that consumed us and that devised against us that we should be destroyed from remaining in any of the coasts of Israel. Let seven men of his sons be delivered unto us, and we will hang them up unto the Lord and Gibeah of Saul, whom the Lord did choose. And the king said, I will give them. Demanded sacrifice. What they wanted was justice. What they wanted was the sacrifice of seven male descendants of Saul. Seems harsh, doesn't it? But it is a stark reminder to us this morning of the seriousness of sin. And it also is a reminder of Hebrews 9.22 that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. This sin that had brought famine and starvation to a generation could only be settled through sacrifice. Dear saint of God, in a desperate situation, knowing spiritual starvation, no joy, no peace, no sense of God's presence, look for the deep source. Look for the root of the problem. And right now, I believe in our service this morning in St. Field, the Holy Spirit is digging deep in our life. Revealing that deep source. Things that were covered over. Things that were ignored. Things that we washed our hands off. Things that we didn't want to remember. That are away in the skeletons cupboard. And bring those roots to the Lord. John the Baptist in Matthew 3.10, I think it is, spoke about the axe being led to the root of the tree so that the problem might never arise again. Dear saint of God, we need, if we're ever to see God move in revival, we are going to have to deal with these roots and bring them to the sacrifice of Calvary. It's the only way for the source to be dealt with. And let the Lord deal with those deep roots of the problem. And praise God he can. God can take those skeletons, those scars, those dark memories, and there can be healing as we come and say, Lord, I've hidden that for years. My wife doesn't know about it. My husband doesn't know about it. The children would be horrified. But Lord, I'm I'm laying it at your feet. And know that fresh cleansing that comes from Calvary. The blood of our King and Savior is powerful enough to satisfy divine justice and restore our famished hearts. We don't need the sons of Saul to die. 
We don't need the children of our enemy to die to end our famine. Christ died once and for all. The just for the unjust. That he might bring us to God. Christ has settled our sin debt forever. That's the, pers- that's the, the purpose of the passion of the Christ. I, I remember hearing of a, a man, I think he died about 1953, called John McNeil. He was a Scottish evangelist. And he did lots of tent campaigns around the borders and up into the highlands of Scotland. And he had a, a wee phrase that he would have used in his missions. He would have said to the congregation, Lippin to Christ. Lippin to Christ. And I used to think, what on earth does he mean? Lippin to Christ. And it turns out he was talking about the wee limpet shell. I don't know if ever you were a child and you went down to the beach and the limpet shells were in the rocks and you tried to kick them to loosen them. Huh? Many a pair of shoes I ruined kicking shells. My dad was in the shoe trade, so it wasn't so bad. But you see, if you didn't get it first go, the wee limpet fastened to the rock. So much so you could hardly tell which was the rock and which was the shell, and there was no budging it. That's the idea. John McNeil was saying, lip into Christ. Get hold of Christ. Let go of this old world and all its trinkets and get hold of the one who died for you and don't let go. And you'll find as you're holding on to him, he's holding on to you. Lip into Christ. Dear saint of God in a desperate situation with a deep source of the problem, there's a demanded sacrifice We need to deal with those roots and we bring it to the cross and we make restitution. We show we're serious. And we lip into Christ. Take the world, but give me Jesus. Christ, glorifying, famine-breaking power is available in our lives this morning. But we must be willing, like David, to confront the source of failure through honest confession. We must come clean with God. And we need to rest afresh at the foot of the old rugged cross. Psalm 23 says, He restoreth my soul. Dear saint of God and saint faith, I've lost count of the number of times whenever I've held on to those words. He restoreth my soul. I'd be embarrassed. Sometimes two, three, four times in the one day. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Lord, restore my soul. And that's what we need. To deal with the root of the problem. And let the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus break the root of sin. And release us back into the harvest time of joy and plenty. Let me finish. 
desperate situation, famine year after year. The deep source. Maya went back 400 years and the roots of our problem can go back generations. Causing bitterness. They demanded sacrifice. They wanted a sacrifice of blood. We need to get the Calvary. But finally, the delightful situation. Once Israel's sin, that root was cut, the famine lifted. Look at verse 14. And the bones of Saul and Jonathan, his son, buried there in the country of Benjamin and Zelah, in the sepulcher of Kish's father, and they performed all that the king commanded. And after that, God was entreated for the land. The rains fell watering and reviving the dormant seeds. The nation's anxiety lifted, prosperity returned, and David would confidently sing the words found in Psalm 37, in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. David, in the day of famine. You know something? David probably was okay. He was in the palace. He didn't go without a meal. (laughs) And he had plenty in his coffers and the barns. It was the people outside that were, were really struggling. But David didn't let it continue. He didn't say, well, it's really not my problem. David prayed got to the root of the problem. Even though it was nothing really to do with him, it wasn't his fault. It was Saul's fault. But David wanted to see revival. Wanted to see the the famine stead. And he made a sacrifice in payment for sin and saw the blessing again. What about you this morning? Be done with spiritual famine conditions. Seek the Lord like David. Find the root like David. Get the Calvary and put it under the cleansing blood and see days of revival and blessing again, individually, collectively. Family saved. Wouldn't it be wonderful? My three children are saved. I'm now praying for eight grandchildren. Growing up in this old world, I fear for them. An excitement about coming to church. And I need to get there early because there's that many coming now. I mightn't get a seat. And hearing God's voice. And knowing God's nearness and seeing God move, David, in a time of famine. Maybe I'm speaking to someone this morning and you say, Pastor, it's famine days for me. <laughs> it's, I wouldn't, nobody knows about it, but it's, I'm, in, I'm living on scraps. I'm living on the days gone by. I've, I've, it's years since I've heard the Lord. An answer. Inquire of the Lord. Deal with the root. Bring it to the cross. And the Lord will move. That's what He does. May you come and may you trust Him. Tonight,
David in a day of loneliness. Returning to our closing hymn, He Leadeth Me, 423, if you use the book, and when we sing it, please remain standing while we close in prayer. Thank you.